Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 championship. Listen to this crowd. Left side, Swanson to first. Braves, world champions. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to From the Diamond. I am Grant McCauley. This is Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I am live from the Kia Studios in Midtown for another edition of Braves and Baseball Talk. Taking it all the way up to 3 p.m. here on the station. So thanks for spending part of your weekend with me. And as always, you can connect to From the Diamond wherever you find your podcast. That's where you can subscribe. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Grant McCauley. The show is at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end. You can also find me on Instagram. I'm at Grant McCauley there. The show is at From the Diamond. You can like me on Facebook and also from the diamond.com and get links to all those things I just talked about. So be sure to connect to the show wherever you find your Braves and baseball podcasts. I am happy to bring you uh, what is usually two fun hours and will be again because we have all kinds of good stuff going on in the baseball world this week. It's not just Braves spring training, which I know, and I just talked with Abe Gordon on his show about spring training kind of being not the most interesting watch for everybody, but there are little things, and that's what we talk about on the show, little things, positional battles and that kind of stuff, and it's obviously making sure everybody's healthy and checking a lot of boxes in the March to opening day, which, hey, by the way, is only about two weeks away now. At the end of this month, March the 30th, the Braves will start a little road trip with Washington and St. Louis on their slate as they begin the 2023 season, and thus their March toward, hopefully, another NL East title and well more than that. That's something we've talked about quite a bit on the show. And as I was down in spring training, talked a lot about with Brian Snitker and a number of Braves players. It's just the first checkbox that they want to hit is winning that division. They've done it five straight years, and we've seen what it's done to the rest of the National League East. It's got the Mets spending money like crazy. It's got the Phillies spending money like crazy. And, oh, by the way, the Phillies were third in the division last year. They went to the World Series. So if it tells you anything about how competitive the National League East can be, well, you should be aware of that because notice has been served, not just by the Mets' big payroll, but also the Phillies getting hot at the right time, which is something the Braves know all about from their 2021 World Series run. But uh, as we look into this show and talk about the things that are coming up on it, one of the things I want to do is get you kind of a, a glimpse, uh, more than a glimpse, a good look at each of the teams in the National League East and uh, preview those clubs with somebody who's covering that individual team. And we're going to kick that off this week with a look at the Miami Marlins. And I know a lot of people might overlook the Marlins because they have not been a powerhouse in the National League East like those three teams I just mentioned. Heck, it may be tough for them to get to the 500 mark, but they've got a, I think, a club that's in an interesting year. they got a new manager. They've got some young players coming up. They've got a very good rotation with the National League Cy Young Award winner, Sandy Alcantara, fronting that. If they can figure out some offense, which they took a couple of steps towards bringing some veterans in this, uh, this past week, uh, then perhaps the Marlins are going to be a little bit tougher. They may not win the division, but they may stop somebody from doing it by being a very tough opponent. So I'm going to talk with Peter Pratt. He is the host of Locked On Marlins. He covers the Marlins from all the way over in Great Britain, which if you've been watching the WBC, the U.S. and Great Britain, they went at it uh, on Saturday as the U.S. picked up their first win. But Peter and I are not going to go at it. Instead, we're just going to talk about what the Marlins have in store for 2023, what has him excited, some of the young prospects and arms that they have, and obviously, uh, if they can take a step forward under Kim Ang's leadership as their GM, 
and with Skip Schumacher at the helm, a brand-new manager after all those years of Don Mattingly being at the helm down there. So Peter Pratt will join me a little bit later in this show. Uh, but as I mentioned, the World Baseball Classic is going on, and boy, do we have some good stuff to talk about from that. It's been a lot of fun watching not only the teams that had to qualify to get into these pools, but once pool play began, and I know that not everybody is is up to date on the World Baseball Classic as I am, and I'll be honest with you, it's hard to keep up even for me because there are so many teams, 20 different teams were involved in this year's WBC, so good luck trying to keep all those rosters in check. But a lot of powerhouses that you expect to be there at the end, the United States is defending its Title I in 2017, and keeping in mind that the U.S. had some pretty bumpy runs through the WBC from its inception in 2006 until finally winning that title, what, five, now six years ago. This is something that they're very much, I think, looking to go back-to-back, and they've got the, I think, the powerhouse kind of lineup to do it. Mike Trout is a captain of Team USA. I think he missed out on the opportunity to be involved with that club that won it all in 2017, so he's excited to be a, a central figure for that. So we'll see what Trout's able to do. And, of course, you've got Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, a host of other All-Stars, up and down that lineup. It's going to be very interesting to see how far the U.S. can go. But I have found the place to get daily WBC coverage. And you might think that there would be a lot of places for that. And sure, you can you know jump on the news wires and the aggregate stuff and find the, the general stories. And of course, MLB.com will have you covered with that because it's kind of a big deal for Rob Manfred and company to grow the game globally. But Sean Spradling, uh, I found on Twitter, and he is as passionate about the WBC as perhaps I am about the Atlanta Braves. So that led me to have a little conversation with him. You're going to hear that on this show. It's daily WBC coverage, and he's got a podcast, WBC Central, which I invite you to go ahead and subscribe to that if you want the updates on everything going on in the World Baseball Classic. And there is a lot going on, and we'll get into it on this show. Then Sean Spradling is your guy for that. So those are a couple of things coming up. And, of course, we're going to have our focus on the Atlanta Braves, as we always do. Uh, one of the things I've been doing on From the Diamond beginning back in January is starting to preview some of the players, the key players, the guys that are going to be playing big roles on this club in 2023. And a couple of those, you might imagine, are guys in the middle of the order. Matt Olson, Austin Riley. We're going to hear from both of those guys as they get ready for spring training and get ready for the regular season, kind of where their heads are at in terms of, I think, the direction of the club after a disappointing run through the postseason last year. There's just no sugarcoating that. Nobody enjoyed that, and they've wanted to turn that page. And, you know, spring, uh, hope springs eternal once everybody shows up at their spring training club, especially for a team that the Atlanta Braves have been looked upon favorably by the projections this year. A lot of people have the Atlanta club as perhaps the best in baseball. Some fan bases may not like that, but this is a well-constructed club. And in the heart of that lineup, you find Matt Olson and Austin Riley, two guys that I think, in any year, could lead the National League in home runs. And we're going to hear from both of those guys as I continue my positional preview for the Braves club. We took a good look at the rotation. We took a look behind the plate with the catchers last week. We'll look at the outfield uh, coming up. We'll look at the rest of the infield. Of course, we've got Ozzie Albies. we got Ronald Acuna Jr. back and hopefully healthy this year. We'll preview what is expected of those couple of guys. And uh, as we do look at uh, Austin, I think, and Matt Olson, I mean, this, these were two players that inside of about six months, not only did it kind of change the face of the franchise when you think about the departure of Freddie Freeman, the arrival of Matt Olson, all the fanfare and kind of the shock that might have uh, come with that, but then he got the richest contract in franchise history, did Matt Olson, with that a big extension for $160-plus million. And then a little bit later, Austin Riley trumped that extension by getting one for over $200 million that's going to keep him in Atlanta Braves uniform for the better part of the next decade. So these are two guys that are going to be counted on to not only anchor the infield, 
but to anchor the heart of the lineup as well. And I think either one of them could be a home run leader for the National League, and we'll see how that all plays out. Just kind of one of my bold predictions for the year. Austin Riley leading the National League in home runs. He came close uh, a year ago where he had that great hot streak where it seemed like maybe it was going to be a, a big-time realistic possibility, but Kyle Schwarber of the Philadelphia Phillies, he also got hot. He had a few home runs last year. He had a home run in the WBC for the U.S. Uh, in winning that game against Great Britain in the, uh, the opener of that pool play, but you know, there are going to be a lot of sluggers in the middle of the Braves lineup that are going to be counted on, and it's not just Riley, it's not just Olsen. I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. is capable of hitting 40 home runs. We've seen that. Ozzie Albies is capable of hitting 30 home runs. I think Sean Murphy and or Travis Darnot could push 20 home runs apiece. Uh, Vaughn Grissom, I think, is a 15 to 20 home run hitter in left field. Eddie Rosario has hit 20-plus home runs many times. Marcelo Zuna, if he's able to figure a few things out, would be a useful bat as well. He's been a 30-home run hitter and was a force in the Atlanta Braves lineup three years ago, but that, I think, is a discussion that we'll have uh, a little bit later on, perhaps in another edition of From the Diamond when we try to sort out what exactly is going to go on in left field and DH for this team. But there are no shortage or is no shortage of candidates for those spots, and I think that's a, a pretty big deal in and of itself. Taking a look at what the Braves did in spring training this past week, I think it was a kind of interesting week in a lot of different ways. Uh, they opened up with a loss last Sunday against the New York Yankees, um, and that was followed by an off day on Monday. Not too many of those uh, that happened throughout the course of the spring training schedule. There'll be one more of those, I believe, on the 21st before they wrap up Grapefruit League play and then get that day off on the 29th and then open the regular season against the Washington Nationals on March the 30th. But smack in the middle of last week, we saw a little bit of WBC flair at Cool Today Park. The Dominican Republic rolled in and, and kind of rolled over the Braves' B team in that particular start. But the next day against Puerto Rico, Max Fried was on the mound. The Braves' offense was really clicking, and they picked up a 9 nothing win just one day after a 9 nothing loss. Fried, I think, looked great. Spencer Strider looked great against the Blue Jays in that one as well. And then the Braves got, a, I think, a good start out of Ian Anderson before the bullpen got roughed up on Saturday. But Charlie Morton looked pretty good. So some good things that were going on in Braves' spring training this past week and a lot more to talk about as we continue here on From the Diamond. But coming up, we're going to hear from Austin Riley. We're going to hear from Matt Olson as we preview the 2023 Braves and countdown to opening day. That comes your way next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome back in. This is From the Diamond. I am Grant McCauley. This is Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Live from the Kia Studios on a Sunday afternoon. Appreciate you riding along with me. Braves and spring training action again on Sunday. We'll talk a lot about Braves spring training as we continue on with this show, but I think we're going to turn our attention to more specifically a couple of key players for the Atlanta Braves, and I don't think it should be any surprise that as Atlanta's high-powered offense got going last year, Austin Riley got on one of the biggest hot streaks that we've seen any Braves hitter get on since maybe Chipper Jones back when he won his batting title, I think in 2007, 2008 there, Chipper Jones just – there were just a couple of years where it just seemed like all of a sudden he just flipped the switch and you couldn't get him out. And Austin Riley had just a, one of the most torrid months that you've ever seen in July. He was tying Hank Aaron for most extra base hits in a month. I mean, as I've said many, many times, and I talked to Austin about this as well. I mean, when you get on lists where it's you and Hank Aaron and Chipper Jones and Andrew Jones and Dale Murphy and Freddie Freeman, I mean, guys who have been kind of the standard bearer hitters for different eras of Atlanta Braves baseball, You've done a lot of things right. And I would say over the past couple of years, it's safe to say, maybe the understatement of the show so far, Austin Riley has done a lot of stuff right in the last couple of years, and the Braves rewarded him with a nice big contract as a result of that. He's going to be around 
for a decade with the biggest contract in franchise history, $212 million. So as Austin made his way into spring training with the Atlanta club this year, it's no longer about you know fighting for a job. He's won that job. In fact, he's backed up his breakout season of 2021 with another one in 2022. But I think Austin's aware now the job is to replicate those kinds of numbers and maybe find a way to find another level. But he was asked about you know what coming into this year really is now that he is a guy who was locked into Atlanta for the next decade. And here's what Austin Riley had to say about that big contract and, of course, his focus for 2023. You know, anytime you, you could sign a long-term extension, you know, a team that you absolutely love and enjoy and, and the guys here are great, you really, in the offseason, by the end of it, you're ready to get back and see the guys. You know, I think that's been the, the difference is, like, you form the friendships and stuff like that, and, and you're with them so much. Uh, by spring training, you're ready to get back and, and, and kick it with the guys. I, I, you know, I know I'm, I'm excited. And, and really, you know, from a personal standpoint of, like, my swing and stuff, you know, done a lot of work. I, I feel really good where I'm at, uh, kind of the way things ended for me uh, this past year. So I'm excited for spring. While the Braves have locked down an impressive core with a number of long-term extensions, not every player is here to stay. After Freddie Freeman's departure before the 2022 season, it was Dansby Swanson who was moving on this winter. After playing alongside Swanson for four years, Riley said there's a lot he took from that experience. I've learned a lot from Dansby. Um, still talk to him quite often. Very thankful for the time that I got to spend with him. Like I said, he's an unbelievable baseball player, even better guy. And... Um, you know, it's going to be different seeing somebody else over there at, at shortstop, but at the same time, you know, you know, he's got to look out for his family and, you know, wish him all the best. And I know Alex and the guys have thought this out and then thought this through and going forward, whoever's there, I'm excited to play next to him. While Riley is a great example of a homegrown Brave who's established himself as a star at the big league level, there's a big opportunity to his left here in 2023 with Vaughn Grissom set to come to spring training with a chance to win that shortstop job outright. Having been in a similar situation not that long ago, Riley was asked if he had any advice for Grissom heading into spring training. You know, try to take it all in. You know, we have, to me, the best defensive guy you could ever ask for in Wash. And I know he spent some time with him this offseason. For me personally, soaking in everything from Wash, whatever he says, it's like, you know, he could tell me, stand on my head and try to catch a grown ball, I'm going to do it. Just because he's that good and I, you know... He understands the game. His attention to detail is unbelievable. So that's, you know, for me personally, that's all I can, you know, the advice I can give him. And, and just like I said, play your game. You know, don't worry about who you're trying to fill in for. You know, be yourself and just play your game and trust in your ability. Griff is a good dude and just he plays the game so freely, plays the game so loose. And, and I think that's going to help him, you know, making that step forward. Like I said, he, he just loves the game, wants to play it as hard as he can, goes out there, and that's what he does. And and I think there's something to be said about that of, of somebody that just goes out there, plays freely. You know, he's always smiling. So, yeah, I think he's going to be just fine. As the Braves look to settle things at shortstop, one thing that Austin Riley is not concerned about, despite the absences of both Freddie Freeman and now Dansby Swanson, is the leadership and the overall chemistry in the clubhouse. With 26 men at a given time all striving to win the World Series, Riley believes they have the personnel and the accountability, one man to another, to play the kind of baseball they expect to play. I think Alex has done a good job of getting a good core group of guys where it doesn't have to be one person to lead the clubhouse. You know, it could be whoever. I think we all, as a group, have the same mindset, have the same goals, have the same values to where, you know, it kind of monitors itself. You know, when things aren't going well, you know, we don't hit the panic button. It's not like there's going to be a bunch of tension in the clubhouse, not pointing fingers. It's, I don't think it's going to be any of that. I know it's not. So, 
I'm going to be a guy that's open to anybody can come up to me in my locker and talk. You know, I'll be open ears and willing to listen and be that guy for anybody. So, but I don't think there'll be any issues as far as a leader standpoint. With this year's Braves, the goal remains the same. It's win that World Series. Get to the highs they found in 2021. In doing so, winning the division seems like that logical first step, and that's what you hear from Brian Snitker each and every spring training. Win the division, punch your ticket, and find your way into October. As they head into 2023, the Braves once again find themselves among the best teams in baseball with their eyes on their sixth consecutive division title. Riley said having won that World Series and tasted the postseason year after year, the Braves feel right at home being among those top teams in baseball. Now they simply have to go out there and prove it. For me, it's the reason in play is trying to win a World Series, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, I think that's the goal that if you ask anybody in that clubhouse, that's the number one goal is to be the last man standing. It's been a real honor to be a part of won a, a World Series at a very young age and, and to be you know, fortunate and blessed to do that and, and continue to, to try to do that with a good group, it's special to me. The New York Mets have been making some moves to improve themselves in 2023 and the Philadelphia Phillies have as well, fresh off their World Series appearance and knocking the Braves out of the postseason in the National League Division Series. As you size up the division and stack up these three clubs, what they've done this winter, and of course what they're expected to do here this season, Riley expects it to be an absolute battle in the National League East. Those two teams right there are going to be tough this year. And, and watching them, to me, it's what we did in 21. It, it, we got hot at the right time, and, and that's, you know, to me, the name of the game is, you know, who can stay healthy the longest throughout a, a 162 and, and get hot at the right time. You know, I know it's going to be a fun year. Uh, you know, I'm actually anxious to play everybody. The new schedule is going to be fun. But, you know, those two, you know, you definitely watch the box scores every night to see what's going on there. Well, I think we're all going to be watching box scores night after night. We could have a three-team race in the National League East. There's a lot of excitement there, not just for Braves fans. And those of us that are fortunate enough to cover a very good baseball team, but the Atlanta Braves themselves are well aware of all the expectations. That was Braves third baseman Austin Riley talking about his expectations for 2023 and uh, a lot of the mindset that goes into reporting for spring training and getting ready to hopefully pull down that flag and you know head on into October again. That's their big plan. But across the diamond from him was kind of a whirlwind season that first year in Atlanta for Matt Olson, who came over in that March trade, immediately signed a club record contract extension and uh, then moved right back in to uh, a very familiar surroundings for him. He's a hometown kid, so playing for the Atlanta Braves is kind of a big deal. Uh, but a lot happened for Olson, suffice it to say, in 2022 as he uh, got himself set up at first base. And I think that coming into year two, it's going to be a lot quieter. And I know talking to Matt a couple of weeks ago, I think he could kind of feel the way that now that he's kind of orientated to his new surroundings, things are familiar again. There's When you come home as a player, you're going to have a lot more people around you, quite obviously, than you did when you played all the way across the country in Oakland, as the case may have been for him. Now he has come home and I think gotten himself settled, and that certainly is a great thing. And hopefully the Braves are going to find him settled in the middle of this lineup. And one of the interesting things that we're going to see this year, of course, is a lot of the rules changes. And as you look at batters that might benefit from the shift being limited or eliminated, as the case may be by Major League Baseball, you'll find Matt Olson's name in the top five of hitters that lost base hits by hitting into the shift. And I know he's trying to lift and drive the ball and all of those things each and every bat, and he would call a ground ball kind of a miss for him in an at-bat, but Olsen kind of joked about what it could be like as he finds himself hitting without a shift for the first time in his professional career. I mean, it could be good uh, to see some ground balls go through the four-hole again. <laughs> I can't remember last time, unless the guy was on first base, but as far as approach, it's not really going to change it. You know, if I'm 
rolling over a ball, it's normally a miss for me. You know, I'm trying to stay through it, drive something middle of the field. But it'll be nice to get rewarded on, on a miss every once in a while. I really think it'll be good for defense, too. I think kind of get back to the old way of playing defense and let guys kind of showcase their defensive ability and, and range. I, I think it'll be good for the game. We know every single winter there are going to be transactions. There are going to be changes. Players are going to come, and of course players are going to go. And perhaps no club has done so more notably than the Atlanta Braves. With fixtures of this team leaving via free agency after the World Series win in 2021 with Freddie Freeman and again in 2022 as Dansby Swanson became a Chicago Cub. Despite the changing personnel, the changing faces, and the ever-evolving roster for this club, Matt Olson is among the many Braves who does not believe that leadership is going to be a problem for this team in 2023 and beyond. I think we got a good group in there, a really good group in there. Um, obviously, a lot of these guys have had a ton of postseason experience, winning you know, the World Series a couple of years ago and coming off a 100-win season. I, I feel like we're in a good spot. You know, Dan's a great guy. I love playing with him. And... Uh, you know, we're just going to have to carry on this year, but between me, Trav, Freed, I mean, Charlie Morton's been around for, I could go on and on. It feels like every guy has, you know, had some time and done it and played in some big moments. So, yeah. As the Braves wrapped up the 2022 season, it's fair to say the end came much sooner than this club was hoping for. With their NLDS exit against the Philadelphia Phillies fresh in their minds, the Braves are going to use that, among the many things, to motivate them to get back to the lofty highs the 2021 postseason provided for this club. Obviously such a, a grind at the end as far as like the division and chasing the Mets there and winning the division was big and a lot of emotion involved in that last month. And then we got the time off and then ran into a hot Phillies team. I think that's, uh, you know, you set into each year with the goal to win the World Series. So anytime you come up short, it's going to be a, a motivator for the next year. And uh, we got a lot of the same dudes back. I think everybody's eyeing that prize. With a tough division that saw the Braves and Mets each win 101 games last year and the third-place Philadelphia Phillies make it all the way to the World Series, Olsen and company are well aware this is going to be a tough divisional battle yet again in 2023, particularly when you look at the winner, the spending spree for the Mets, some big signings for the Phillies, and the Braves still being the club to beat. When you start sizing all that up, Olsen said the Braves are very well aware of the challenge it's going to be to win the NL East for the sixth consecutive year. I think it's got to be up there with if not the best, one of the best divisions in baseball. I mean, you look at the teams around, you know, those three, and then you look at the Marlins, they got an incredible staff and adding some pieces as far as bats. Nationals didn't have the best year last year, but they got a lot of young guys with talent too. So there's no like gimme games. You got to grind out everybody. And I think we saw that last year with the Phillies and the Mets. And it's anybody's season every year. That's the best part about baseball. You go out and do your thing. Not only are players coming and going, teams getting better in the National League East yet again in an attempt to unseat the Braves, who have won the division for five consecutive years. We're going to see quite a few things change in 2023 across Major League Baseball, not the least of which is a new schedule that will see each team play every other club in MLB for the very first time. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that affects the records at the end. Having 200 win teams in our division last year is kind of wild with the amount of talent in our division and us beating up on each other. So I'll be interested to see how that works out. There is that old saying in sports, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But if you do look back at the 2022 Braves, despite winning 101 games, this was a team that truly did not find that next gear until the end of May. And that's something I got to ask Matt Olson. While there is no one way to avoid a slow start, what, if anything, can the club focus on to get that consistency right out of the gate? I don't think there's one thing you can pinpoint. Um, obviously, every team wants to come out to a hot start. 
you know, if you look at it, I almost think it's a little more impressive the way that we ended with the start that we had. <laughs> it's not easy when you get kicked around to start the season. I know we're playing 500 ball, but, you know, we got a really good team and felt like we were playing pretty bad. So uh, the fact that we were able to bounce back, I think, is a lot better than what uh, a good start would be. And you want to come out to that hot start. We plan on coming out to a hot start. <laughs> we want to do everything to get it. But, uh, you know, sometimes things go awry and you got to do what you can to bounce back. That's Braves first baseman Matt Olson here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley as we take a look at the corner men for the Braves infield. We heard from Olson just then. We already heard from Austin Riley. But you look at his stats and what you expect from these guys, both 30-plus home run hitters in their career. Career high, 38 for Austin Riley a year ago. He led the National League in total bases as well, 325 of those he racked up. Matt Olson, meanwhile, led the Braves with 103 runs knocked in and a career-high 44 doubles as well. But he also had some peaks and valleys. Both of these guys did. So when you talk about consistency throughout the course of a season, I think that's something they're both going to be striving for. But the Braves are going to be counting on both these men to be driving the ball out of the park and driving in a lot of runs for this offense as well. When we come back, we're going to turn our attention to the World Baseball Classic. It's in full swing right now. We're going to break down this global tournament with Sean Spradling. It comes your way next right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It is that time of year, and it's been quite a few years since we've been able to say this, but WBC, World Baseball Classic action, is happening this week, and it's happening uh, all over the globe, very appropriately. A lot of it, though, here in the U.S., and we're going to talk about all of it with Sean Spradling. You can follow him on Twitter at Sean underscore Spradling. He has daily coverage of all things World Baseball Classic and International Baseball. He's also got a great podcast, WBC Central. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Sean, thanks so much for making some time to join me here on From the Diamond. Yeah, Grant, this is awesome. I, as you can tell by my content, I absolutely love to talk about the WBC. So this is great. Yeah, and I cannot <laughs> tell you enough that it's refreshing to be able to find so much information on something that you know I have a lot of active interest in, but it's kind of hard to track it down. And so to find really world baseball classic centric content has been uh, really something that I was intrigued by. And that's definitely why I wanted to have you here on the show. So let's dive on in back again for the first time since 2017, the world baseball classic happening mm -hmm. right now. We have 20 teams, four pools of play teams from four continents, but in the end, we only have one winner. How excited are you to see the WBC back and seemingly bigger than ever? Oh, I can't wait. And I completely agree. I think the consensus is this is definitely the biggest WBC we've had. This is the fifth edition of it we had in 20, 2006, 2009, 13, and 17. 17 was was pretty big. I mean, it was a pretty big jump up from 13, especially with, with Team USA winning. Uh, it created a lot of hype and engagement around the tournament, but I think that this is just a whole new level. Like There are just so many more players and teams that are bought in. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. And when I found you on Twitter, because I was looking for that kind of centralized place to get all the up-to-date information on the WBC with everything just kicking off this week, Week, and it's a two-week tournament where it pretty much gets started and it doesn't stop until we get down to the end. And you seemingly have every base covered. So again, if you're out there listening to From the Diamond, Sean underscore Spradling on Twitter, great place to see all of his content and get links to everything you need to. But what about the World Baseball Classic really sparked your interest and led to an all-encompassing daily coverage approach? Yeah, I think it was a couple of things. For me, I I love international baseball. I won't say, though, that I've always covered international baseball or followed international baseball. Um, I grew up in the U.S., grew up in Texas, played baseball growing up uh, all my life, uh, all the way through high school. But 
I mean, when you grew up in the U.S. and you played high school baseball, like you, you're kind of in your own bubble. You don't need to worry about like baseball outside the U.S. Yeah. I wasn't even really aware that a lot of other countries were good at baseball at the time. I was so. Once I kind of when I got to college, started researching more, watching more baseball all around the world, I uh, realized kind of how big the baseball world really is. Um, and it just intrigued me. Uh, 2017, that WBC was a big one for me, though, just being able to see like, oh, this is what our sport could look like if it was really on a global s- scale, right. like all interconnected. And um, yeah, it was just fascinating to me. And then ironically enough, it wasn't even baseball, the second part that really like hooked me to the international, like global aspect of sports. Um, I went to my, my wife's family and my wife, are, they're from Brazil. I was visiting her family in 2018 during the World Cup mm-hmm. and just getting to see like how intense the Brazil is about the World Cup in soccer, the FIFA World Cup, um, and just seeing that intensity and, and passion and energy and like respect and honor to play for your country and to yeah. root for your country. Um, it, it was something I had never really seen before. And so it came back and obviously baseball is not as big as soccer, but at the same time, like that's kind of what we want the WBC to be. And that's mm-hmm. kind of why it was created to be a true baseball world cup. So yeah, I, I, once I realized that, Oh, this is kind of the avenue to eventually hopefully connect to the global baseball world. Um, last year when they, announced that it was going to be in 2023 this year uh i started looking up all over the the, the internet like hey what do the rosters look like and who's going to be playing because it sounds like a lot of fun like 2017 yeah. and there was nothing out there like there was no news no content whatsoever yeah, so i just kind of took it upon myself to start doing some research and creating some like infographics and like dream team rosters and like what potential rosters could look like if everybody that was uh, eligible played for the countries so from there it just turned into like daily coverage of the wbc because no one really did it at the time so um yeah that's kind of where i started with my coverage of the WBC. Yeah, and it seems like a great place to start in a land that really had not been explored in a lot of different ways. And really for the World Baseball Classic, and I know obviously for all of us, the pandemic kind of changed the timing of a lot of different things, but it's been six years since we've had this World Baseball Classic style of baseball, which I do think is kind of its own unique thing. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But as we look at the 2023 Mm -hmm. version of the WBC, we do have some of the biggest stars in the world competing. Mike Trout is finally a part of Team USA. He is not alone. A lot of all-stars on that club. Shohei Otani representing Japan. Dominican Republic is seemingly a who's who of baseball stars on their Mm -hmm. roster for their country. Would you say that this is the most star-studded tournament since perhaps turning back the clock all the way back to 2006, the very first one? Yeah, I would say so. I think that this is the most stacked all the way across the board, all rosters. Uh, Just holistically, we are seeing the most stars, the most players buy into the tournament and actually want to play. Um, 2006, you're right, was pretty stacked as well. It was pretty loaded. But even with the guys like Derek Jeter and Ken Griffey Jr. and like Roger Clemens, if you if you go back and like listen to interviews from that team, a lot of people talked about it just sort of being like this lazy, like exhibition type feel of yeah. like, oh, this is a fun tournament to be able to play in. Like, oh, we get to meet all these guys. Um, whereas now, like they 
they see it strictly as like an international competition and not an exhibition. So it's it's just much more serious now, I would say. It's just taken a lot more seriously. And all of this I'm saying is strictly like for Team USA. Mm-hmm. All the other countries, for the most part, really do consider this their world, like baseball World Cup. Um, for the U.S., since we have MLB and we have the World Series, like it's taken us, it's, we've lagged a little bit behind in the WBC, but people are really starting to buy in. Yeah, and after winning in 2017, I mean, winning cures a lot of things, and it excites people in a totally different way. But I would 100% agree with kind of the yep. summation of what Team USA was up against. It's not that guys didn't want to go play in it. It's that I think they showed up with a mentality of, okay, well, it's March. This will be fun. I'll do this. I'll get ready for the season. I'll maybe get some mm-hmm. uh, cool experiences and maybe some more competitive at-bats than you'd be getting in spring training, competitive reps for the pitchers. But they found out real quick a lot of these countries care an awful lot about the opportunity to win the World Baseball Classic. We're chatting with Sean Spradling oh, yeah. here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is From the Diamond with Grant McCauley. Make sure you're following Sean on Twitter at Sean underscore Spradling is where you can find him. He's also the host of WBC Central. That's a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And a funny story, I mean, or a fun story, I got to cover the first WBC in mm-hmm. Orlando in 2006 when I was first getting started in baseball. That pool featured the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. I remember that game specifically because I got to kind of get right down behind home plate and snap this picture of Johan Santana delivering that first pitch to Alfonso Soriano. Victor Martinez was behind the plate. Juan Marshall threw out the ceremonial first pitch. I got a photo of that too. But the uh, the Soriano receiving from Santana photo may be the best baseball picture I've ever taken. I may have just needed to retire 17 years ago from photo taking. <laughs> uh, but it had all the energy, all oh, the man. feeling of something special. And something that could have a wide-ranging positive effect on baseball around the world, which I think is what you've been touching on. How successful would you say that the WBC has been up to this point? Obviously, there's the potential for it to be so much more. That's a great question. And I think that that is something that that's another reason why this WBC is so crucial, because like I've been able to talk to a couple people who have been close to the tournament uh, over the last couple editions, and this tournament just feels different. Um, I think that Every WBC that we've seen has grown gradually, but then there's kind of a big jump to 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, even even like, for example, uh, Rob Bradford uh, works for WEI uh, and does the uh, he does the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast, which is where my podcast is on that network. He had mentioned when he was covering the Red Sox back in 2017, even the last, even in 2017, mm-hmm. um, he had mentioned that a lot of the players, a lot of the coaches still saw this as like a a burden and like, oh, I don't even know if we're going to have another one. Like this might be the last one that we do. We'll, we'll see how, how long the WBC lasts. It's fun, but I don't know if this is really something we, we want to commit to long term. Well, USA won. It was huge. It, it exploded and yep. everybody bought in both on MLB's side as well as other countries. So I think from there, it was just kind of a launching pad to actually committing to growing the tournament. So whereas there was a time where it could have been gone, like gone either way, whether it would succeed or just kind of drift off and not be a tournament anymore. I mm-hmm. think it has really taken off. And this is this is definitely the biggest one we've had. Yeah, and baseball is always looking for opportunities to grow the game. And that's internationally. That's, you know, here domestically. I think that there's a lot of conversations we could have about maybe getting rid of blackouts or MLB games that would help out as far as growth of young fans mm-hmm. and all those things are concerned. But that can be a subject for another show another time. But the World Baseball Classic just really seems to be central to the kind of positive movement that Major League Baseball wants to make around the world globally. And with so many teams and so many players from around the world participating in this one, it truly does feel like it is on the right trajectory. As you mentioned, it, it did feel like maybe a little bit, maybe just from the American side of things, it could have gone either way. 
I'm all for more baseball. I don't know how you feel about this. I don't know if there's a better time of year for it. I know guys don't want to play it at the end of a long season. I know they don't want to stop the season in the middle to play a tournament that lasts nearly two weeks. It's very hard. The logistics are. It seems like you're kind of married to this March time frame for this tournament. Do you think that's held it back at least a little bit for teams really wanting to commit you know, their players, their assets, if you want to call them that, towards a goal other than winning the World Series? Yeah, I, I think the one subgroup of of players that is hasn't quite yet bought in is the American pitchers specifically, because mm-hmm. um, all of the American hitters, uh, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Kyle yeah. Tucker, all of our stars, they're all playing. It's just the U.S. pitchers at this point. Um, and, and the clubs that don't want them to participate and those pitchers that are still a little bit hesitant of messing with their spring training regimen. I mean, you've got other teams like Dominican where Christian Javier and Sandy Alcantara are playing. So it's yeah. it's really not an every team thing. Shohei Otani, you Darvish for Japan. Yep. So it really seems like it's it's really still just the U.S. pitchers at this point that's that's holding it back from being like every category of player playing. Um, and a big reason for that, like you said, is spring training. Um, they don't want to mess with their their regimen, their preseason ramp up. But at the same time, there isn't a, a perfect time to have it. But I think it might be the best time unless we're willing to do like an extended all star break. <laughs> the only there's like three options. There's a during spring training where the players might not be fully ramped up. They have to start a little bit early. Um, the the worry for MLB clubs is the injury risk. But I would say the injury risk before the season is far less important than in the middle of the season or at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, so because the other option would be at the end of the season where after in like November, where a lot of players do go play in winter leagues. But I mean, if you think about guys that are going deep in like pitching deep into October, adding another two weeks to that is going to be tough. Yeah. So I, I think spring training probably is the best option. Everybody's fresh. Everybody is still ramping up, but I mean, there's been plenty of injuries in spring training as well. So I don't think it's necessarily, there's not much more risk. It's just a little bit scary because it's not happening at your own spring training camp. So I think it's probably the best time, even though it's not ideal. Wrapping up here with Sean Spradling on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I know as we've talked about, there's tons of teams and storylines. They're going to write themselves throughout this tournament. I had the opportunity to talk to Mark DeRosa a couple of months ago. He hadn't finalized his roster yet, but I know he's excited for his first managerial job. That's just one of the many stories for Team USA. Oh, yeah, the guy Mike Trout's playing. A veritable you know, lineup of all-stars is there. A pretty good pitching staff as well. I think the U.S. has a great opportunity to repeat. Will they be able to do that? We're going to find out over the course of this tournament. Uh, what are some things you're looking forward to the most in the 2023 WBC? Because I know that pool of death got my attention when I was sizing up this tournament that's headlined by, of course, that killer Dominican Republic team. Oh, it's it is unbelievable. And that is it's only amplified because of not only the teams that are in that pool, but where the pool is in Miami, Miami. where so we got Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Nicaragua and Israel. And all of those categories, those cultures are very prevalent in Miami. So it is going to be electric for every single game. There's a bunch of Jewish fans in Miami for the Israel team, a, a big Nicaraguan population, and then of course Dominican, Venezuela, and Puerto Rican as well. So you got those top three teams. If we're talking about specifically Pool D, that group of death, <laughs> um, and it's it could honestly go either way. Um, with there's only two teams that are going to come out, so someone is going to leave very disappointed. Yep. I think most people have Dominicans coming out of the pool. I would as well. The second team is tough because 
Historically, Puerto Rico normally outperforms what their expectation is, and Venezuela typically underperforms. They perform- performed pretty poorly in the WBC the last couple of times. But I will say that this is probably Venezuela's best roster and Puerto Rico's one of their weaker rosters that they've had in recent WBCs. So I would expect Venezuela to come out with the Dominican Republic to make it to the quarterfinals, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, Puerto Rico did. That should be very interesting here in Atlanta. We've got our eyes on that Venezuelan team because they've got Ronald Acuna Jr. among the many stars that's playing there. But, of course, Eddie Rosario is playing for Puerto Rico, so it's going to be fun to see teammates matching up, and that's just from a Braves perspective. There are so many more across all of baseball that are going to be looking across. It was an exhibition game last week where you had Mike Trout facing off against the Angels. Some weird stuff can happen in the lead-up to the WBC, (laughs) and hopefully some exciting and fun stuff will be happening throughout the course of this tournament. He's Sean Spradling. Follow him on Twitter, at Sean underscore Spradling. That's where you can can find all of his daily coverage for the World Baseball Classic and International Baseball. He's also the host of WBC Central. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Sean, I had a blast chatting with you about this, and hopefully we can uh, hook up again and talk about what has come out of the 2023 WBC once everything has uh, wrapped up and all the smoke is settled and dust is cleared, and we find out who's going to win this thing. Yeah, Grant, absolutely. Now, this is a ton of fun. I'm, I'd love to come on and do like a recap. We can talk about all the biggest highlights and uh, everything that happened in the tournament, because there's going to be a lot, and I, I know that for Sure. That will be outstanding. Thanks again for your time. I look forward to talking to you soon. Yep. Well, that was a great chat about the World Baseball Classic, but we've got much more Braves and baseball talk coming your way next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I love baseball. Now back to more Grant McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for making some time to ride along with me as we talk about the Braves and baseball. Of course, we just had a great chat about the World Baseball Classic with Sean Spradling. I encourage you to check out his podcast, WBC Central. I also encourage you to check out another little podcast you can find wherever you get your favorite shows. That, of course, is From the Diamond and FromTheDiamond.com. We'll give you a link to each and every other thing that you need that I throw out your way throughout the course of this spring training and the regular season and the winter and pretty much we're seasonal, but we're all seasons. That's what we do. From the diamond.com, that is the place to find it all. Let me welcome Garrett Chapman into the show. He's producing me today, and uh, you can also hear him here on 92.9 The Game. Garrett, great to have you uh, both on that side of the glass and here on From the Diamond. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. Yeah, so we're going to have a little bit of fun here, I think, in this segment because I want to cover a couple of interesting stories and then one in the WBC that's unlike anything I think I had ever heard of before, but we'll get to that in just a moment. But something that uh, popped across the headlines, and it should be really no surprise to anybody around the Atlanta area, is young player, future star, in, in air quotes for now, we'll find out, signs an extension with his club. And this wasn't the Atlanta Braves doing it again. Surprise. No, they didn't do this one. But the Arizona Diamondbacks were the latest club to do it. The Washington Nationals also pulled off one of those deals this week. And I think it's just something that, again, we have seen young players signing extensions to buy out their uh, pre-arbitration years, their arbitration years, and a couple of years in free agency as well. Arizona did it with Corbin Carroll. He's one of the future stars, they hope, of what should be an up-and-coming Diamondbacks team over the next few years. Eight years, $111 million, so a very nice deal for Mr. Carroll. Uh, Meanwhile, the Nationals signed Cabert Ruiz to eight years and $50 million guaranteed, and he was one of the crown jewels of the Trey Turner and Max Scherzer trade with the Dodgers. So Ruiz to the Nationals for the next eight years, Carroll to Arizona for the next eight years. A little disparity in that money, Garrett, but I think that it's pretty fair to say that at this point other clubs – 
maybe starting to take some cues from what the Braves have done better than any other team in baseball under Alex Anthopoulos over the last few years. Yeah, Alex Anthopoulos has done a great job of creating uh, a good environment for these young players mm-hmm. where they feel like, I mean, you and I have seen it firsthand. I mean, we've, I mean, you more than anybody probably. It, these guys want to play here. They yep. want to be here. They want to be in Atlanta Brave. They, I mean, they've got a fantastic fan base. The facilities are awesome, and the, the organization supports them. So why wouldn't you want to be a part of that organization, you know? Yeah. And, look, Carroll's a great young player. He's one who's I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about to, to follow him. Of course. Um, he's still only going to be 31 years old when that contract comes up, and he's still going to have an opportunity to go make some money. And that's what I think is the interesting thing about that. And we say that. He has an mm-hmm. opportunity to go make some money after he makes over $100 million. Exactly. And there are some escalators where I think his deal could be worth another $20 million if he wins some awards. And I think that is kind of shades of the much bigger Julio Rodriguez deal that we mm-hmm. saw last year uh, where his deal could max out and really increase if he's able to become the perennial MVP candidate, gold glover, silver slugger, et cetera, that I think that Julio Rodriguez is going to be. But putting him aside because he's kind of a, a unicorn-style player when you talk about top prospects, this still makes a ton of sense because, as I tweeted out yesterday, clubs and players being able to agree on these deals that sets up the young player with generational wealth and the opportunity, as you just pointed out, to go test free agency again in what should still be some prime years of the career left, you know, get another bite out of that apple, so to speak. But also the roster sustainability, mm-hmm. the cost certainty. I know that's a term I've used a lot when talking about what Alex Anthopoulos has done. And, oh, by the way, you get to miss out on that sometimes messy, sometimes it's kind of the business of baseball arbitration process that nobody really enjoys. And you don't have to worry about that. And you've got this young player locked up for what is a considerable amount of time, which creates a window for contention. These are all, I mean, it's just going down a list of check, yep, I'd like that, I'd like that, I'd like that. And it's not just you know the Arizona Diamondbacks and Washington Nationals who've done it this week, but mm-hmm. when Dana Brown left the Atlanta Braves as their director of scouting, the guy that was in charge of kind of replenishing this pipeline, so to speak, uh, a guy who was in charge when they went out and got a Michael Harris, a Spencer Strider, so on and so forth, both guys who signed extensions. Now as a GM of the Astros, the first thing that he went in and did was signed Christian Javier to a five-year extension worth north of $60 million and made no bones about saying, hey, I'd like to sign more of these young Houston players. I mean, I look at Kyle Tucker in particular, somebody that I'm sure they'd like to keep around for a long time, among others. it's It just makes an awful lot of sense to want to build that young core, keep them together for a long time, and not have them having to worry about arbitration and free agency and thinking about that annually. Yeah, and that was one thing that the Astros really came across is that, I mean, they won a World Series, and then they lost a lot of those core players, like Carlos Correa, he's gone. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that was something that just sort of came all at once for those guys. And they've obviously, there's been little to no drop-off. They're the defending World Series champions. Finding Um, a way. (laughs) They're finding a way. Um, No, and and I think the the Astros are in great shape. And Dana Brown, I mean, he's going to come in and do a very similar thing and lock these guys up. Alex Bregman was a guy who signed a $100 million contract Mm -hmm back in 2019, and I think if you do those things, you figure out who your core guys are, identify them early, lock them up, yeah. and then build around them. And that's yeah. something that the Alex Anthopoulos has done very well, and Dana Brown had a big hand in that. Now, this building process, it started in 2019 when the Braves signed both Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies to what now are, and, and what were at that time mm-hmm. as well. I mean, the case could be made. I mean, you know, this is good money, particularly for Acuna, who could make up to $125 million, but for Ozzy Albies, it seemed like it could be a much lower than market value contract, and I'm sure it will play out that way. However, this is still generational wealth, so you have a hard time pointing to somebody and saying, hey, don't take that $40 million, $50 million, $100 million, whatever it may be in some of these deals, 
there's some nuance to it, but certainly it helps the club out immensely to have players of that caliber under control for years and years to come at a rate in which you know what you're dealing with for roster construction purposes. Then you start to throw in some of the other guys that we've seen. Matt Olson comes over, Austin Riley, Spencer Strider, uh, Michael Harris, obviously, and then even Sean Murphy. When the Braves traded for Sean Murphy, I looked at his profile and thought, this is the next extension candidate to me. And Garrett, sure enough, we saw Sean Murphy sign that extension, much like Matt Olson, not long after landing in Atlanta. Yeah, and Alex Anthopoulos has done a marvelous job of identifying those guys and, and figuring out who the, who they will be. Yeah. And honestly, it's a blueprint that I think other teams around the around the league would be foolish not to follow. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just a it's it's just a testament to the strong scouting department that the Atlanta Braves have, and then the willingness of these players to sign these deals. I mean, Michael Harris. Signed that $70 million deal, mm-hmm. which at the time was the most money. It doesn't sound like a lot when you're talking about a player of his, in his free potential agency. caliber. But he never, he's not in free agency. And that, I think, is also an important point for people, not to you know get off track here, but you're not in an open market situation. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about an extension, it's a little bit different of an animal. Yeah, and he, and he was going to be here anyway for the next five or so years. Yeah. And so it might as well make that time as profitable as possible. But mm-hmm. on top of that... That was the largest contract for any player who had under 100 service days. Right. Until Corral, uh, Carroll just signed this this contract uh, with the Diamondbacks. Yeah, and, and that, I think, is something that we may continue to see. I know Wander Franco is another guy that signed a huge contract, and mm-hmm. we're talking about the Tampa Bay Rays breaking out the Brinks truck and, and backing it up to keep Franco around, and I don't blame him for doing that. Again, Julio Rodriguez, and, I, and we could sit here and name off a lot of different young players that have signed deals of various sizes – they're not all going to be winners. I will say that. I no. mean, the Braves, I think, have, have done a very nice job of identifying, as you pointed out, the players that they do want to build around and the ones that they're going to invest in. And you have that going on. And then on the other side, you have when guys get to free agency, it's not necessarily uh, going to be a reunion for Atlanta Braves' top players once they get there. We'll see how some of these other deals play out over time. Luckily, we don't have to worry about it for another four or five years if you're a Braves fan, so you're not sitting around you know, thinking about, oh, well, who's leaving you know, next year? But there is the Max Freed situation, which I think is interesting to monitor. I got a chance to, to talk to Max and kind of hear how he views all of this. And he is, I think, very you know, singularly focused on what he's doing in a given year. He's not necessarily thinking about big picture, big contract. But he also went out of his way to say, look, I'm ecstatic for my teammates. I sat in those press conferences. I hugged those guys, high-fived those guys. This is generational wealth. This is great for them. I like being in Atlanta if the club comes along with, uh, with talks and wants to engage my representation about one of these. I'm going to be open to talking about that. But he also said that, look, arbitration didn't ruin my you know, time here in Atlanta. I feel good about you know, the communication I've had with the team and don't foresee it changing anytime soon. So I think that could possibly allay some fears of a lot of people that thought, well, Max Fried lost arbitration of the Braves. He's going to be really upset the next couple of years. That's just not the way that it is. I know it's not fun, but it's also not divorce court, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's a business. At the end of the day, they think the, everybody knows that this is how it works. And it's, it's no hard feelings. It's just it is what it is. you know. And it's not one of those things where, like, oh, well, you just couldn't pony up the extra $250,000. No, no, it's just you got to do what you got to do when these things yeah, happen. And it's a process that the two sides don't know what they're submitting. Yeah. So it's kind of a testament when you are that close to – realizing that the value is kind of in the ballpark, no pun intended. But, you know, occasionally it's very close like that. A lot of clubs will just, you know, end up settling and splitting the difference. The Braves are a, 
you know, file and trial team is what it's called. You know, once you get to the point where you got to submit the numbers, they're just going to let the arbitrator figure it out. And for the most part, that's just been the way that it is. And unless you sign an extension, which, you know, could still be a thing. And again, Max Fried did not rule out that possibility over the next couple of years. The interesting thing for him, of course, is the age. Mm-hmm. He's approaching 30 since his age 29 season. He didn't get to the big leagues at 21 years old. He was still rehabbing from Tommy John surgery around that time. So Max has had a different road to the big leagues than, say, Michael Harris, Spencer Strider, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr., certainly you know, busting onto the scene at 19 years old. Everybody's got a little different case. Yeah, and it's also I mean, being a pitcher. You have more opportunity for injury. It's just mm-hmm. the, the nature of the position. And that's why, I mean, Spencer Strider was the first pitcher to sign uh, yep, of one those of those long contracts. Yeah. And the other thing that, that kind of plays into my, my major point there is considerable risk for the Atlanta Braves. I mean, you look at it this way. You, you don't know if these guys are going to stay healthy this entire uh, length of the contract. Right. You don't know. And you could run into a situation where Ronald Acuna tears his ACL, comes back the next year, isn't the same guy that, that you saw familiar. before. Oh, wait, what if he's that guy and not the guy before injury? Right. It's, it's the risk that you play when you sign They're hedging contracts. their bets. I mean, you're Correct. taking this calculated risk. I'll call mm-hmm. it that because it's a lot more than just the volatility of, oh, well, it could go from being a 40-40 guy to a guy that you know, may or may not look the same. But then again, you think about the ages and, and the, you know, the period of that player's career in which they're you know, running the majority of these deals through. I think that it kind of makes the most sense. And again, this is a model that I think everybody across baseball should be looking at. As we talk about this here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, I want to move on from contract talk for a moment and talk about the World Baseball Classic again because something caught my eye, Garrett, that I this is what the tournament can offer. It's an awful lot of fun, I think, because a five foot nine electrician from the Czech Republic named Andre Satoria picked up the biggest strikeout of his life against the biggest star in baseball, I think, and he never threw a pitch above 79 miles an hour to do it. He strikes out Otani. Satoria has the Czech Republic dugout going nuts. I want to get that baseball. Yes. It's like the whole world was stuck in the moment like a heart attack, man. It was hard. I just, I just looked to my dugout and hey, I got him. So that is Satoria reacting to striking out Shohei Otani in the World Baseball Classic. And again, Otani has been putting on a show, no pun intended. He's been putting on that show in the World Baseball Classic, and of course we've seen it across Major League Baseball over the last couple of years. But you could hear in his voice, Satoria, everybody has a passion for baseball, but he, an electrician, is his day job. And he's out there competing for his country in this tournament, going up against the literal best of the best, and having the opportunity to strike him out. The dugout, they came unglued, obviously. He had a pretty good outing going to that point. But the strikeout of Otani, I mean, that's just the cherry on top because Shohei Otani is going to have many awards and memories and moments and all of these things that are going to come his way, I think, over the course of his career. But for Satoria, this will be the highlight. He'll be able to tell his kids and his kids' kids, one day your old man or your grandpa, he was out there on the mound. He looked down Shohei Otani, and he struck him out. I think that's just absolutely incredible. And that is just a little slice of what can happen in the World Baseball Classic. So a little bit of fun uh, to wrap up this segment. When we come back, we're going to turn our attention back to the National League East because we've got much more Braves talk going on. But we also want to get you previewed on what the rest of the division is going to look like. Peter Pratt of Locked on Marlins is going to join me to talk about the 2023 club that Miami is going to be putting on the field. We'll do it next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. 
And welcome back to From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, live from the Kia Studios on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks so much for joining me. If you've enjoyed the show so far, I want to remind you, you can get From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. So go on over there, leave a rating and a review if you wouldn't mind doing that. That certainly helps out the show immensely. So one of the many things we want to do is not just look at what's going on for the Braves as we preview the 2023 season and countdown to opening day. I want to take a look at what else is happening across the National League East. So we're going to start a little series here over the next few weeks where we look at the Marlins, the Nationals, the Mets, and the Phillies. And we're going to lead things off with the Miami Marlins. To help me out with that, I want to welcome in my buddy Peter Pratt from all the way across the Atlantic. He is in Great Britain, but he's got his eyes on the Miami Marlins at all times throughout the 2023 season. He is the host of Locked on Marlins. You can also follow him on Twitter at Miami Marlins underscore UK. Well, Peter, I appreciate you making some time from all the way across the pond. It's not often that we've got some international flavor here on From the Diamond, but I'm excited to welcome you in and excited to talk about the 2023 Marlins with you. Absolutely. Great to be along. Looking forward to this one. Uh, I'm feeling a positive vibe right now, thinking about the Marlins and the season ahead. So this should be a fun conversation as well. We've got the WBC about a fire up, so be excited about that too. So a lot to look forward to here. It's now March. We can almost taste baseball yes. now. So All of us are excited about that. And again, that international flavor to keep our taste puns going. There's a lot of good stuff happening right now in the game of baseball. And of course, for the Miami Marlins, I think it's been a bit of a journey in trying to get where they want to and, of course, to contend in what is a very tough National League East. And one thing that's been a constant for the Marlins has been change. Ownership, leadership, roster, manager now. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you name it, and they've dealt with it. But with Kim Ang now at the helm, does it feel like a vision is finally starting to come into focus for this Marlins club in that big picture? It's a great question. I feel like this is starting to become at least... Kim's vision of what the Marlins could and should be. You know, this is her third season now, and it's taken a bit of time for her to kind of put a stamp on this club. Obviously, Derek Jeter was still around. He hired her. Derek Jeter then exits. And that actually, I think, created the opportunity for Kim to grow and take a bit more responsibility. And so this, I would say, is definitely more of a Kim Ang direction and strategy. The manager change, obviously, a big decision around that. And Donnie to skip. They're almost polar opposites in many ways in terms of their managerial experiences. But we're seeing a lot of change of direction, maybe from the Derek Jeter vibe and era into Kim Ang and starting to put some of her ideas forward at a time when there's a lot of change in baseball more generally, too. I think that's the other thing is with all these rule changes, you know, it's potentially creating opportunities maybe for you know, someone to think about things a little bit differently, a GM to construct the roster a bit differently and try to take advantage of some of these rules. I'm very intrigued. It's a contract year as well for Kim Ang. So I think that equally maybe is some of the reason for some of the decisions we've made where there feels like a bit of a win now mentality, really like the win now, I guess, in inverted commas in many ways, but it can't be a 69 win season in 2023. It can't. Um, so there has to be a real uptick on the kind of wins and losses record as a starting point in 23. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of pressure for Kim Ang. Yeah, and, and there already is. I mean, it's built into those GM's jobs. And we know that you don't build a contender overnight. It does take time. But for the Marlins, I feel like it's taken a little bit more time to get the right people into the helm so that you can start to direct this ship where you want it to go. And you know, we talked a little bit about this manager change, but I want to get into Skip Schumacher here because he replaces Don Mattingly after seven seasons as the skipper of this club. It's the first-time manager here as well in Skip Schumacher, a first-time manager, and a relatively young team. So how do you like this fit? Because it felt like a new voice in that clubhouse may have been one of the things that Miami was really needing. 
That was the key bit. Uh, and Donnie called it out actually when he decided to step away, if that's the right way of phrasing it, was he, he felt like it was time for a new voice. And I didn't know a lot about Skip Schumacher, but what I've seen subsequently and what I've heard, I'm really excited by the fit. I think it's a really nice fit. And actually the thing that stands out to me is, you know, he's not that far removed from being a major league player himself. Right. And it's being able to understand maybe the modern day player and what that actually looks and feels like and what they need and giving them a chance to see success as best as they can. So I think there's going to be a lot of changes around how they operate, how the clubhouse operates and embracing some of the you know newer methods, let's say. And I think you, know, you can really kind of point to like a Jazz Chisholm Jr., for example, with that, yeah. you know, very modern type of player, very modern personality. And it's having the right culture around that type of player to give them the chance to succeed. So like what I'm seeing with Skip, mm-hmm. I think it could be a nice fit. You know, for Skip, really, it's going to be a lot of pressure on him too. First time manager, a club that needs to do better. They've talked about this roster, you know, if, if we're healthy, if we're healthy, et cetera, et cetera. But we all know in baseball, that's just not the reality yeah. that the roster won't be healthy all year. And so it's going to rely on Skip making some nice decisions along the way. Pressure's going to be on, but the reality is the change of voice that was necessary. And I think um, it's the right call for the Marlins here to, to go in a, in a very different direction, I'd say. Yeah, chatting with Peter Pratt. He is the host of Locked On Marlins. You can follow him on Twitter at Miami Marlins underscore UK. So you might be guessing that he joins us from the UK and you know covering the Marlins from afar, but taking about as close a look as you possibly can. I recommend that you subscribe to his podcast if you want to get all things Marlins throughout the season. Of course, the Locked On Network does a great job of that. You brought up Jazz Chisholm Jr., one of the most exciting young talents in baseball. There's just no two ways about that. Slowed by injuries a year ago. Now he is changing positions. So health, obviously, the key to success in 2023. But do you think this is a change that's going to benefit him and the club? It benefits the club if it's successful. I think, you know, this is such a high-risk decision for the Marlins. And what I and I would say as well is this would not have happened, the transition in terms of infield to center field. It mm-hmm. wouldn't happen if the Marlins had been able to execute on a on some sort of trade to acquire a center fielder. So I'd view this as a stopgap, is my view anyway. That's what Jazz himself is talking about. It, when he talks, it's, well, when I move back to shortstop, you know, it's that kind of language. Okay. So he doesn't see this as a long-term situation. So it's really on Kim and the Marlins to consider what the midterm view is for center field. But Jazz has embraced it. He's, he's kind of knocked on Skip's door and said, listen, you haven't got a center fielder. I think I can do it. What do you think? And Skip said, okay, uh, let's yeah. go. So... Fair play to Jazz. He's a confident guy. The health is critical, but overall for Jazz, like he is really one of the, the most exciting players in Major League Baseball right now. And as a Marlins fan, it's great to have that type of guy um, clearly on the roster. Mm-hmm. What can his 23 look like? The sky's the limit for Jazz Chisholm, I think, really. And that's the, the beautiful thing. It absolutely is. And it's going to be fun, I think, to watch a young and exciting player with a ton of speed. You know he can cover the ground. It's just going to be about mm-hmm. learning the routes, making that transition. And Jazz Chisholm has the talent to succeed at whatever position he ends up in. We'll find out. But the bat's going to play. And I think that's something the Marlins are very, very excited about. Now, of all the big trades from a few years back, and I don't mean to go into a painful period here, but Uh it ends up being the Marcelo Zuna deal that brought back the most for the Miami Marlins in terms of rebuilding their club. Not only did they get Zach Gallen and then flip him for Jazz Chisholm, but of course, Sandy Alcantara has blossomed into a bona fide ace in all of baseball. What have you seen from Sandy over the past couple of three years that took him from a young gun to a Cy Young award winner? What a trade, by the way. When yeah. you look back on that Ozuna deal, what a stunning deal. Uh, franchise altering potentially for the Marlins. I mean, Sandy Alcantara is just sensational, isn't he? And the thing with Sandy, 
It's his desire, competitiveness. That's the thing that stands out. He doesn't settle for a plateau. He's always looking to improve. The mentality, the bulldog mentality of Sandy Alcantara is is wonderful. And, you know, what can 23 look like for Sandy? This is the thing. I mean, how do you improve on a Cy Young year? Do it again. And (laughs) do it again. Exactly. I mean, Sandy will be looking to repeat. You know, that then, imagine if you go back-to-back Cy Youngs. Mm you know, you're on a Hall of Fame trajectory at that point. Like, that's going to be the reality. Like, Sandy will be thinking about that. The interesting part with Sandy Alcantara heading into this year is the Marlins have tried to enhance the offense. We know that, and there's been some trades and some free agent signings. It's fair to say some of the defense may have stepped back. We're going to see what it actually looks like, but, you know, for a guy that relies heavily on a ground ball, and that's how he's able to go so deep into games because he's pitching to contact, uh, et cetera, but... There's a lot of movement happening here in, in the defensive position. So for a guy that relies heavily on his defense, Sandy could be one of the most impacted guys. So I'm really intrigued to see whether Sandy adjusts his game. Does he then think, hold on a minute, let's start to become more of a strikeout kind of guy and flip the script on it? Or does the defense stand up anyway? There's a lot of questions here with the Marlins, but with Sandy in, in particular, you know, what he's talking about is I'm just all about my preparation. I've got my routine. I know what I'm doing. I know how I can stay healthy. I know how I can perform. So he's got a proven, I guess, methodology for himself where he knows he can put himself in a spot to deliver what he needs to. And he's such a focused guy, but he settles for no plateaus and no regression. He's looking to improve on 22. That's what Sandy Alcantara will be thinking about, which is extremely enticing. Not only that, it should be scary for the rest of baseball because Sandy Alcantara, really, if you didn't know much about him before 2022, he's pretty hard to ignore at this point. And I think he's primed to be in the prime years of his career as the Marlins perhaps take that next step in the National League East and look to get back into the postseason as well. Now, the Marlins, they have some impressive arms behind Sandy Alcantara, and they're young arms. So they continue to add this winter. I think this rotation just in general has as much or more potential to carry a club than just about any other team in baseball. So run through these arms for us. We know about Sandy Alcantara at the start, but he's not the only one that has some pretty impressive stuff for the Marlins to go out there every fifth day. 100%. I think behind Sandy, we saw it last year, the progression of Jesus Lazardo, I think, was probably the most impressive um, of those guys. I guess the the one thing to call out is they've moved Pablo Lopez, which was the two, to go and get Luis Arias. So they've made that decision. They filled that void with Johnny Cueto. And Johnny Cueto, it's a perfect guy to add in for a bit of experience where you've got so many of these young arms you talked about. So you've got Cueto in there, Lazardo. Then you start to get into Edward Cabrera and Trevor Rogers too. We saw Trevor Rogers really flash in 21. Yep. Really struggled in 22. Early indications in spring is we've got 21 version of Trevor Rogers again, which is very exciting. I think uh, he's going to, I think going back to how he saw success originally, you know, fastball change guy, big lefty, like you know, there's an obvious way for him to see success there. But for me, Edward Cabrera, I think is a really intriguing name. It's in effect could be a Sandy Alcantara 2.0. Wow. Plus, you've then got sitting behind that the number one pitching prospect in baseball in Uri Perez, depending on which prospect uh, list you look at. So, you know, Uri's sitting there, Jack, uh, Jake Eder sitting there, Dax Fulton. There's this conveyor belt. Then we've also got what, again, is enticing for Marlins fans. What's happening with Sixto Sanchez? Yeah. Is he potentially going to make a comeback here? Because I guess the Marlins and Braves saw plenty of Sixto in 2020. The last time we actually saw him on a mound pitching into the postseason against the Braves. Sixto, again, another enticing name if he can work his way back. The Marlins are built on their pitching staff right now. They have so much of it, and it's very exciting. Equally, 
I think they still need to consider how they turn some of these guys into some impact sticks. I think they're still missing an impact stick or two. Wrapping things up here with Peter Pratt, host of Locked on Marlins here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We talked about the pitching now. we got to talk about the offense. It seems to be the question, Mark. You brought up a, a couple of names here. The Luis Arias trade made, I think, a difference or can make a difference. Gene Segura comes over from Philadelphia. Yuli Gurriel and Jose Iglesias just signing here with spring training winding down in the next couple of weeks. I think a healthy Jorge Soler and some productivity from him and Avasio Garcia would make a rather important impact. Uh, how do you size up the lineup? I know Jazz Chisholm's going to be that featured bat, but it seems like there are a lot of question marks for a lot of different reasons about the other eight spots in the order. That is exactly it, though, Grant. There's so many question marks. There's so many ifs or what ifs that come with this lineup, to be honest with you. Overall, I think if everyone's healthy and that's the first if, then this lineup looks relatively competitive. Although I would say as you start to go down a level or two, the depth certainly I don't think is there for the Marlins. So health is, is extremely important. But really, this this lineup hinges on, you know, they've got 25% of their payroll committed to Jorge Soler and Avicel Garcia. Those guys need to step up and deliver. And last year, we just didn't see that at all. Either poor form or injuries really held those guys back. It kind of, you know, you're just looking basically to Jazz Chisholm to do something and that was it. You know, it comes down to, can the big boys do what they do? The Marlins, though, offensively, they've moved away and they've tried to go to a contact-heavy approach with a couple of big boys sprinkled in. We'll wait and see if that actually delivers some improved offense and some wins and losses. I think fundamentally the Marlins will be in a ton of close games. I think that's just the very nature of this roster. The pitching is good enough. They've enhanced the pen. Can they generate enough offense that can win games that we know the pitching can keep games close. So there's going to be so many close games for the Marlins. There really is. If they can stay healthy, then that wildcard three spot, in my opinion, is a realistic option for them. Clearly, going from 69 wins in 22 to a wildcard three, it's a relatively sizable leap. History tells us it probably won't happen. But if things fall right for the Marlins and maybe they add through the year, that's the thing I'm interested in with Kim in this contract year. And if they stay in the hunt, what do they do when we get into the year to add maybe an impact stick or two later down the line just to try and push them over the top? It's going to be a different type of offense. Uh, it certainly isn't the offense that the Braves have. Let's call that out. Sure. It certainly isn't the offense that the Phillies have. It certainly isn't the offense that the Mets have. And so the Marlins have got to go about things differently. Can they set their roster up, their lineup up to take advantage of some of these new rules? Wait and see. Um, but it's going to be a fun watch, I think, that. Yeah, pitching and defense and timely hitting can do an awful lot, even if you don't have that lineup that rivals the 27 Yankees. The Braves, the Mets, the Phillies, they've all spent a lot of money. The Marlins have not necessarily been in that boat, but I do think there's been some creative moves that have been made. It's going to make this a tough club to run into, what, 14 times a year now. So we're mm. going to see all 29 other teams, each and every one of us following each and every different club. So I think that's kind of intriguing. If the Marlins can win some close games, I don't see any reason why not. They couldn't be in that position to be buyers come the trade deadline, and that would make the National League East, I think, even more fascinating to have a fourth club into this mix. We might have ourselves a four-corners match for the National League East crown at some point in the not-too-distant future. Peter, I appreciate all your time and uh, insights on the Marlins here. Uh, let the folks know where they can find you. I know you've got Locked On Marlins, and that's something that will be coming everyone's way on a daily basis once opening day hits. Yeah, you've got it. Thanks for uh, having me on as well. It's always great to talk Marlins, uh, no doubt. Uh, for those that are Twitter guys, that's my main kind of social media vibes. Head over there. It's at Miami Marlins underscore UK. Uh, the party, as uh, Grant mentioned, daily vibes from Locked On Marlins. So if you want more Marlins, then head over to there too. Hit subscribe wherever. But fundamentally, Twitter for me, no TikToks, no Instagram. 
too old. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Peter, I appreciate it. And I look forward to talking to you again throughout the 2023 season. Same to you, buddy. Thank you. Well, that's a look at what could be going on down in Miami in 2023. When we come back, we'll wrap up this edition of From the Diamond and talk about the week ahead for the Atlanta Braves and much more right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, back to more From the Diamond, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome back. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game on this Sunday afternoon as we're in the home stretch of this edition of the show. Hope you've enjoyed what you've heard this afternoon and each and every Sunday here on 92.9 The Game. The normal time for the show will typically be 5 to 7 throughout the summer. We might bounce around a little bit, any and all pun intended, for the basketball that's going on here in the month of March. That's kind of a big thing for everybody. That's totally understood. We're just trying to work in a little baseball talk here and we'll do that with you throughout the month of March, leading up to opening day for the Braves. That will be the 30th of this month against the Washington Nationals. So it's getting here uh, very soon, very soon. Quicker by the day, but that, of course, I think is a bit of an oxymoron. But be that as it may, if you've enjoyed what you've been listening to here on the show, make sure you subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Really appreciate my guests on this week's show, Sean Spradling, giving us all kinds of insight on the World Baseball Classic. And as you just heard, Peter Pratt from all the way over in the U.K., giving us a little bit of Marlins insight as we continue a National League East preview. We're actually kicked that off this week. We'll look at the Washington Nationals, I believe, next week. Then we'll get to the Phillies and the Mets in that run-up to opening day as well. It's going to be an interesting division. It's going to be an interesting year with the new schedule where you see all 29 other clubs. That's something we've talked about here on the show as well. Just one of the many things to watch as we get ready for the 2023 season. Of course, right now we're keeping our eye on Braves spring training and what's going on down there. And I think one of the biggest stories that we've had and it's been going on all winter long with the departure of Dansby Swanson to the Chicago Cubs is what shortstop going to look like for the Atlanta Braves this year. There's been one name that has been above all of the other candidates, and that, of course, has been Vaughn Grissom, who has been one of the key stories and players to watch this spring. And I do think over the first couple of weeks of spring training, he has done enough to have you recognize that this is somebody who should be able to handle this position. And one of the things that I think that works specifically in Vaughn Grissom's benefit, if you will, is the fact that there is no expectation that he has to come in as a highly regarded prospect, which he is, and carry this club for any real length of time. He really has a job that is as simple as it can be, I think, and it's difficult to earn a job at the big leagues. Don't get me wrong. It's hard enough to get there. It's even harder to stay there. That, I think, is the phrase that really goes with becoming a Major League Baseball player and establishing yourself and being able to have the consistency you want to be able to stick around for a while. But you look all around that infield, there are multiple other all-stars. You look around this roster, multiple other all-stars as well. But to the right of Von Grissom is Austin Riley, a player who went through, I think, a very similar metamorphosis from highly regarded prospect to somebody who earned an everyday job not that long ago. So you have him to your right. You've got a double play partner in Ozzie Albies who has come up and been one of the youngest players in the major leagues and had become a star and now has had to kind of overcome some injuries and has had some highs and lows himself. And one of the low-key stories, and I think that we really see it on the Behind the Brave series that the club has put out, is that you may not look at Ozzie Albies and immediately think, hey, that's the team leader there because he's not necessarily the, the, not the biggest and he's not the loudest man in the room, but, man, Ozzie Albies commands respect for his dedication, his work ethic, and, of course, the performance that he's put in for the Braves since bursting onto the scene back in 2017. That's someone else that Vaughn Grissom can lean on as he gets himself used to playing what was his natural position all through his high school days and the start of his pro career. It's not the first time he's playing shortstop. 
Last year was the first time he played second base, really, for any length of time. So that was kind of, when I talked to Ron Washington about it, he said, look, Vaughn was just up here just trying to survive. And I think that's an interesting way to look at it because he was thriving those first three or four weeks. And then Major League Baseball pitchers will make that adjustment. They did that. But I think Vaughn still has the bat that, with the type of at-bats that he has, to grind out those pitches. And he doesn't strike out a lot. He does put the ball in play. I think those are things working for him. Can he get that hard contact? That's a question that he's looking to answer this year as well. But to round out that infield, then you've got Matt Olson over at first base. So you've got three different guys that when Braves fans are looking at kind of the tentpole type players for this team, those are guys that are going to get mentioned long before Vaughn Grissom. Yeah, you can't do anything about the guy that used to play shortstop, and I think it's great that Vaughn isn't really worried about that either. In fact, if anything, he learned a lot about the workmanship that it's going to take and the approach and the dedication to you know, following the, the Ron Washington way as much as anything, as much as anyone, from Dansby Swanson. So I, I think that that influence there is also a good thing. But then you look up and down this Braves lineup, whether it's Ronald Acuna Jr., Michael Harris, those three infielders I mentioned, Sean Murphy, Travis Darno. I mean, you've got Eddie Rosario. I mean, there's a lot of other players that are going to be looked upon as kind of feature bats in this lineup before you're expecting Vaughn Grissom to have to carry this club. So I say all that to say it's kind of a perfect storm scenario for a young player, even on a contender, which, again, has some pressure built into it, as does trying to win an everyday job in the big leagues. But if you were looking for an ideal place for a young player to really get in where he fits in, so to speak, I think Von Grissom is in that place. So uh, thus far in the spring, he has played nine games. He is seven for 24. So batting 292 on the spring. Uh, not a lot of power just yet, but it's going to be emerging. And Von Grissom has the kind of bat, I think, and he showed it at times last year. It could be a 15 to 20 home run hitter. And if that's the guy you got batting eighth or ninth in your lineup, you're in a pretty good spot as the Atlanta Braves. So that, I think, is what's going on at shortstop. But an interesting name I want you to keep in mind because I do watch all of these spring training games, as many as I can, and the Braves have also been putting some of these feeds on the MLB app, which has been very helpful. So I've been able to get an eye on not only Vaughn Grissom, but a lot of the other players. And in my couple of weeks I spent down in Northport, Braden Shoemake is a name that I think Braves fans are familiar with because he was a highly regarded draft pick not too terribly long ago, I believe 2019. But Braden Shoemake was the guy who would have gotten the call last year when Orlando Arcia got hurt with Ozzie Albies already on the shelf. Because Braden Shoemake was playing in AAA Gwinnett. But not long before the Arcia injury, which fortunately he was able to come back from before the year was over, but not long before Arcia went down and Vaughn Grissom got that call, Braden Shoemake hurt his knee and was done for the season. He had to be carted off the field. I believe it was a torn PCL that ended his season. So he kind of came into spring training, I think, as much as anything, as the forgotten man, if you will, in this whole shortstop equation because everybody talked about Vaughn Grissom for good reason. And for Orlando Arcia, who has had more time at that position than any of the other candidates that the Braves are going to bring into camp. But Braden Shoemake has had himself a very nice spring, and I think that that's just somebody that you do want to keep an eye on because even if he doesn't win that job outright in spring training and take that away from Von Grissom, you know, Braden Shoemake's numbers this year, or, or this spring rather, hitting well over 300, uh, racking up some multi-hit games, including one in the, one of those WBC contests against Puerto Rico. These are the kind of performances that can get you on the radar in a good way in spring training. And for Braden Shoemake, I think it's a name you need to keep in mind who we're going to see at some point in 2023, that's for sure. So uh, Shoemake, just a name to keep in mind as far as Braves prospects are concerned. Of course, I talked a lot about those with Carlos Colazzo of Baseball America last week on the show. If you missed that, I would encourage you to jump into the archives and find From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts and you can catch up on that. 
And we also got some very good news this week, and I'm very pleased to be able to bring this along because it was a big question mark for the Braves rotation, and it ain't the fifth starter either, by the way, which I'll touch on in just a moment. But Kyle Wright got a, a very good report this week as he finally got on the mound and was able to throw a bullpen. 33 pitches pain-free. Remember, he got a cortisone shot in his right shoulder back in January. Mark Bowman of MLB.com reporting that Wright threw that bullpen, and now he will face minor league hitters next week, which gives him time to throw a couple of exhibition starts and hopefully be ready for the second series of the year as the Braves will begin in Washington, then head on over to St. Louis. you got to figure that first series against the Nationals is looking like Max Fried on opening day, Spencer Strider in Game 2, and then Charlie Morton in Game 3, and then I guess we'll see what the Cardinals series looks like. But that would seem to be how it aligns in those first couple of series. But for Kyle Wright, who won 20 games last year, the only 20-game winner in the major leagues, just that chance to get rid of some inflammation that had been bugging him just a bit. If you're going to do it, January was a better time than coming to camp and you know trying to push your way through inflammation or that kind of dead-arm feeling that a lot of pitchers you know will go through at some point in spring training. And now he has a chance to jump back in and really follow up on what was a great season for him. And I think perhaps the glue in the Braves rotation last year, Max Fried is the guy that carries that staff and, and leads that staff as a Cy Young runner-up. Spencer Strider certainly showed you what he's capable of. But Kyle Wright, to me, was as important as anybody else in that rotation a year ago because it was the consistency of which he went about doing his job. And you know we'll see what Charlie Morton is able to do this year, bouncing back from what was an off year for him. It's a pretty good starting four for the Braves, but that does still leave the question, what's going to go on in the fifth spot of the rotation for Atlanta this year? We've talked quite a bit about that battle. We've heard from Ian Anderson on this show. We've heard from Michael Soroka on this show. But a couple of other names have kind of popped into that discussion, along with Bryce Elder, who is another name that we knew coming in. Those were kind of the three front runners. But if you're looking at Braves minor leaguers that have a chance to really step into an important role for Atlanta this year, I would put Jared Schuster at the top of that list. And if you look at top prospects for the Braves, I think he might be at the top of the list on just about every single one of those. Uh, he was a lefty that Atlanta took in the 2020 draft out of Wake Forest. He made it to Triple A Gwinnett last year, made 10 appearances, 9 starts. The swing and miss went down a little bit at Triple A, but as he's come into this spring training with the opportunity to be in big league camp, he has been nothing short of impressive in a handful of outings. Three and two-thirds innings of one-run ball against the Pirates on Sunday. He allowed a home run to Brian Reynolds. There's no shame in that whatsoever. That's the only run he has allowed all spring long. So it's been a very impressive showing for Jared Schuster. Eight and two-thirds innings, one run thus far. And we talked about Dylan Dodd. He did get touched up a little bit by the Dominican Republic's super all-star WBC team. But Dylan Dodd's another name to keep in the back of your mind because as we've talked about time and again, and as I'll talk about probably all season long, you may have the five best starters that you can possibly have, but that's not going to get you through the whole season. You're going to need other guys to step in and to really step up for you. So we'll see how uh, maybe Jared Schuster, perhaps Dylan Dodd, are able to factor into that. Because if you ask me who is going to be the fifth starter come the opening day uh, roster or be on that 26-man, I think Ian Anderson's probably still got the inside track. Well, that'll wrap things up here on this edition of From the Diamond. As uh, the Braves look ahead to spring training, they've got six more battles to go through this week, and they'll be marking those days off of the calendar as they look to find their way towards opening day on March the 30th. Thanks for joining me here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley. As always, I will catch you next Sunday right here on 92.9 The Game. Until then, so long, everyone. <laughs>